the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, like I said, the book of Matthew was written by one of the apostles of Jesus. Followed Jesus. Uh, he called him and said, hey, follow me. And Matthew did. Um, and so Matthew wrote this gospel. It is one of three gospels that is very that are very similar to each other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all are very, very similar. They contain a lot of the same stories, uh, but each author has something that they want to share in, in sharing these stories. So they sometimes reorder them a little bit differently, uh, and sometimes they emphasize something a little bit differently. But the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are all very, very similar and um, then you've got John. John is not similar to John, who was also an apostle of Jesus, the youngest apostle, and wrote a little bit later and put a different spin on it uh, from his viewpoint. Uh, he wrote a little bit later. But, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, all come to, to, with the most of the same stories. But Matthew starts his gospel with something interesting. It's the, it's the gene, genealogy of Jesus. And um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, what you're going to find out in Matthew is that he focuses on this whole concept that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. All right. So just remember that. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible with you uh, and you like to mark up your Bible, you might want to just underline the word Messiah every time you see it in this book. Uh, and let's just see how many times uh, Matthew says that. So this is the gene genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. So these are the main patriarchs of the Old Testament. If there's anybody that you're going to remember in the Old Testament, you need to remember Abraham, you need to remember Isaac, and you need to be, remember Jacob. And then Jacob has a son named Joseph, but Joseph also had a brother named Judah. And the line of Judah, the genealogy of Jesus, comes through uh, Judah. And, and we'll see that. Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Haran, Haran the father of Ram. Ram the father of Nimadab. I'm so glad we don't have these names today. Could you imagine naming your kid Aminadab? But all of these Old Testament names actually carry some meaning with them. They're Hebrew words that mean something. Like, uh, like we could call somebody today a light of the, of the morning sunshine or something like that. And there'd be a Jewish word for that. And that's what we could, you know, but for us it'd be light of the morning sunshine. So what's your child's name? It's light of the morning sunshine. Um, that would be really cool, but, um, and there probably are people that actually name their kids that. I have no idea, but Aminadab is the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, who was uh, the mother of Rahab, and Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And so uh, we have the Old Testament story. Ruth is in the line of David, right? And if you've ever studied the story of Ruth, uh, she was the one that came to Naomi and stayed with Naomi when she lost her husband and sons and they lived together and then uh, married 
uh, again, Boaz. Um, so that's, let's see, yeah, Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And so Obed now is the lineage. Uh, Obed was the father of Jesse. And who was Jesse the father of? Jesse was the father of King David. So we see now that King David and Abraham are both now in this lineage. David was the father of Solomon. You probably know that story. The mother whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. So if you hear jump in Jehoshaphat, this is where it comes from. Jehoshaphat's the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Quite a long lineage going on here, but we'll see there's actually quite a few lineages. Josiah is the father of Jeconiah and his brother at the time of the exile to Babylon. So this is another major point in the history of Israel was when they were exiled, they were kicked out by the Babylonian empire to kick out of, uh, of Jerusalem and now they're in exile into Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, you have Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Ibehud, uh, Abahud is the father of Eliakim. Eliakim is the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar is the father of Mathan. And Mathan is the father of Jacob. And so Matthew continues and he says, the, And Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called, again, what is it? The Messiah. Underline that in your Bible. Thus, therefore, so now this is interesting. This is uh, what Matthew notes by all of this. Matthew says there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile of Babylon to this Messiah. And there it is again, the Messiah. So Matthew, in this first genealogy, one thing you can see through the whole thing, and as a matter of fact, he says it three times, is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So in the Old Testament, uh, maybe I'll go through this at some point, but in the Old Testament, there was promised that there would be a Messiah that would be like on David's throne, somebody that would save Israel. I mean, the time that they looked to when, when they were all together, one nation with one king, and they were one happy family, was at the time that David was sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, and they loved that time. It's the time that they look back to, and then, you know, they were conquered and exiled to Babylon and all that, and they were always hoping that at some point, some lineage of the king of David would come and arrive on the scene, and he would rescue them. He would deliver them and he would bring back this wonderful time of national unity and being the children of God and all that sort of thing. And they were all looking for that. And what Matthew says is that Jesus is this person. And there are 14 generations. Jesus, the whole point of, of Matthew is that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, like I said, as we go through this in the study, just um, underline how many times you get the word Messiah showing up. 
And, and the other thing is that you have to understand is that Jews love numerology, right? They love to look at numbers and numbers mean things. And so there's 14, there's right, 14s here, 14 to uh, 14 generations in each of these. So that's important. Now, um, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time on the genealogy because it kind of applies to the world today, right? Um, what is your genealogy? Like, do you probably know who your father and your grandfather are, uh, and your mother and your grandmother and all these people. You probably know your parents and your grandparents. Some of you have been blessed to know your great, your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And how many of you know their story or where they came from, or the stories of like where you existed and how your tribe, let's say, came into existence and where they came from? Now, I happen to be married to a woman named Jennifer, and her whole entire um, lineage is, is European, right? She is German. She is German through and through. Uh, her mother's German, her father's German, her grandparents, both German on both sides, all four, all eight, however far you want to go back, they're all German. She's very, very proud of her German heritage. As a matter of fact, um, you know, if you wanted to take your DNA test and find out if you're German, you need to compare it to my wife because she's about as German as it is. Now, I'm not German. I've got all sorts of mixed blood in me. On one side of the family, I'm Scandinavian and Swedish. That's on my mother's side. On the other side, I'm English and Czechoslovakian. So what's missing from that cocktail is German. Now, uh, if you are German and German Lutheran and German blood goes through your veins, one of the things that you want to do is to marry someone, right? To continue on that German heritage. And so I have no German in me. And so I had to get, we had to exhume Luther and get his permission for Jennifer to marry outside of the German tribe so that I could actually marry into the family. Now, what's really interesting is that about three years ago, uh, Jennifer and I went to a conference and this guy heard my name, right, Hook. Now, you have to understand that my grandfather told me that it wasn't Hook, it was H-U with an umlaut on it, K, uh, in my lineage. And, um, and that we're Czechoslovakian, right? So I worked uh, at the Arizona Department of Transportation many, many years ago. And one of the guys I worked for was a guy named Rudy Kulaya. And I asked Rudy one time, I said, where am I from, right? Because my last name's Hook. My grandfather told me I'm Czech. And he goes, oh, you know, you're not Czech. I said, no, my grandfather told me I'm Czechoslovakian. Uh, before he died, I've always grown up thinking that I'm Czech. He goes, you're not Czech. Um, he said, uh, that is not a Czechoslovakian name. I'm from Czechoslovakia. You are not a Czech person. I'm like, well, then where in the world am I from? So <coughs> Jennifer and I went to this um, conference. Guy heard my last name. He goes, do you know where your last name's from? I said, yeah, it's Czech. I said, but I'm not sure it's Czech because I actually talked to a Czech guy once and he said it's not Czech. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He said, you're from this area. Uh, it was H-U with an umlaut over at K. And I go, yes, that's what my grandfather told me. He said, you are um, actually from a part of Prussia that was part of Germany. So all these years, 30 years of marriage, thinking that I am ostracized from German blood, come to find out I actually have German blood inside my body. So I don't know if that was good news or bad news because I always thought I was Czech, right? And um, I always thought being Czech was kind of cool. <coughs> but 
Oh, well, um, I guess I'm part German, and so that means that I've got a little bit of German blood inside of me, and so I'm no longer ostracized. And so my children have a little bit more German in them because they were 50% German, now they're 50-something percent German. I don't know. But anyway, we, we love the idea of where our genetics are and where we come from, right? And um, what's interesting is that uh, there's a whole new field that's been uh, developing. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called epigenetics. So genetics is basically your DNA markers, right, that come from your mom and your dad. They come together and they form you, and you've got you know, half of your mom's DNA and half of your dad's DNA. And for a very, very long time, we just thought that that was all the DNA that you had in you. But there's this whole new science that's come online in the last 10 years, and it's called, maybe it's more longer than that, it's called epigenetics, right? And epigenetics is basically this, um, this stuff, this genetic information that's passed along that's not in your DNA, but it's kind of surrounded by your DNA. And um, what's really, really interesting is that a lot of people who study this thing, and I'm probably going to get this all wrong, and you're probably going to tell me I'm all wrong, but... But basically, you can pass down genetic information uh, inside these, inside you know, the genetic material that isn't necessarily DNA, but it's epigenetics, and it helps you to be more and more like your mom and dad. But it might be something that your dad passes along that's like, or your mom passes along that's like a memory, right? And so they've done these studies where they'll take a rat and they'll put the rat through a maze, right? And so they'll learn that rat goes through the maze every day, right? Day after day after day after day. And then the children, the offspring of these rats, they compare those rats that are the offspring of, of families that went through the maze and those that didn't. And apparently the ones that go through the maze, they have these genetic markers or this genetic memory that they can go through the maze, right? And um, I just find that so fascinating. So... Um, and the reason why I find that fascinating is because if you're a parent today or if you're a grandparent today, well, a parent probably, you know, but that uh, you are passing along to your children information, genetic information that isn't just DNA, but it's also kind of like who you are and your thoughts and your memories and things like that. I just find that so incredibly wonderful. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going to go with that, except that. Jesus did not have Joseph's genetic markers or materials at all, right? Um, we'll get into that. Um, but you can pass along traits outside of DNA, but it goes into your offspring. I think that's pretty cool. Um, as I put a note here, you know, coronavirus. Um, this coronavirus also is a genetic thing. It's a DNA thing. It's a, actually, it's called RNA. What my understanding of this virus is, just and this is my limited understanding, is it's like a ball, like a, a baseball, right? But it's got spikes coming out of it. So if you've seen pictures of the coronavirus and it looks like it's got these like little mushrooms or something sitting, standing on the outside of it, that's what this marker, this, this uh, coronavirus looks like. It gets into whatever, into your body, and it goes to a cell and it just grabs onto a cell, and then it injects into the cell uh, genetic, you know, information. It's called, uh, it's called RNA. And um, inside the cell, if it's a healthy cell, then it starts to duplicate this RNA, and then it ejects it from the cell, and you're making all these RNA, and it kind of spreads through the whole entire body. 
And so that whole process is known. And we've known that process for a very, very long time. And apparently we've known the process of coronavirus for a very, very long time. But what we have not been able to hone in on as of yet is a way to stop the virus because apparently there's one guy that I watch and he calls this virus the honey badger, um, Dr. Sahoon. Um, it's with Medcram. And um, he says it's like the honey badger. I don't know if you've seen a video of the honey badger, but honey badgers are incredibly smart and they can't exit. I mean, they, you can't lock them up because no matter how hard you try to lock them to a cage, they'll figure out a way. I mean, you can put a lock and key, right? But other ways, they'll, they're just so incredibly clever to get out. Uh, and that's what this coronavirus is, is that once it gets in your body, it's just really, 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 uh, it, once it gets, you know, into a society, it's very, very clever. It's just very, very, very um, difficult to control because it is so incredibly clever. Um, one of the things that I've heard is that the coronavirus is three times more, uh, you can catch it three times more than the common flu, right? So it's three times more contagious than the common flu. Uh, and that it's, once you get it, it's about 10 times as deadly as the common flu. So, and in the flu, we have herd immunity, right? We've got a lot of people that have been inoculated from the flu, but um, this thing, there is no inoculation for it because we haven't created an inoculation for it. This particular strain of coronavirus, we don't have an inoculation for it. So, and that makes me wonder too, like, um, like we're on this lockdown for 28 days, but what's going to happen at the end of 28 days? Like, how do we unwind this? Do we, because all it's doing is kind of stopping an overpowering of the medical system, right? Of the, of the hospitals for those that have to be, because once you get coronavirus in some percentage of people, it gets into the lungs. And once it's into the lungs, then it starts to do damage to your lungs. And then you have to go into the hospital and you have trouble breathing and you start getting pneumonia and that intubates you. And then there's, you know, high percentage that once this happens, there's a higher percentage that you could actually die from it. And some people it's completely mild. You don't do that. Um, they just get it. They get a fever and they go away. Some people get a little bit more sick, but in some people it attacks the lungs. And once it gets in the lungs, then they have to go to the hospital. And then and once they're in the hospital, you know, they have to do some pretty invasive treatments for this. And see, all of this is known. Um, and so the treatment protocols are known and all that sort of thing, but it's a numbers game. And at some point when they start releasing us back into society, some of us are going to get it. Um, and some of us are going to go to the hospital and some of us are going to be intubated. I mean, there's some pretty things. I don't know how this whole thing. So like in 28 days, like, do they release people in, in groups of people, or, you know, by industry or, or do they, do we all get masks at that point? Or, I mean, I just don't know how this whole thing is going to unwind, but, but be very, very, very careful, whoever you are, because when you go to the store, uh, or when you go out, um, there's always this risk that you could catch the virus. Now, now that's a lower risk, um, you know, than some other pandemics that are, but it's still, a, it's about three times as contagious as the flu. It's 10 times deadlier than the flu. Um, and I don't, I personally don't know anybody that's ever personally, I don't know anybody that's died of the flu. So, I mean, the, per, the percentage of a population that dies of the flu is very low. Um, this will be a bit higher. I mean, I've seen numbers that have come out um, that, you know, in a worst case scenario, it could be in the millions and they brought it back down 
to like 200,000, 100,000, I don't know what it's, what it's going to be. And there's an <laughs> incredible amount of harm economically and into our society to try to protect those 200,000 or 100,000 people, which, you know, I'm, that's not my decision. I think it's a great thing. But there will also be other people that will be impacted tremendously because of the economic shutdown. And at some point, somebody has to make those decisions. And that's a very hard decision. I don't think it's an easy decision. And I think if you are in a leadership position in the state or, you know, nation or, you know, a health organization or whatever, um, those are hard decisions to make. And so we should pray for our leaders that they get the right information, they make the right decisions. But anyway, so I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know how we got off on the, oh, I got off on the coronavirus because we were talking about the genetics through Joseph and Mary and all that sort of thing. So yeah. So the important thing here that we see in this, this uh, thing is that Messiah is fully human. The Messiah is fully human, right? He receives his DNA from his ancestors, from his mother. But Joseph is not the biological father. His, uh, so let's, let's continue on. Uh, we're going to start in verse 8 again then. Um, so this is what Matthew says. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, right, came about. His mother Mary, we know this story, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Mary's the mother, the Holy Spirit's the father. Uh, or the other half of the DNA. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now, he's actually not the son of David, right? He's the son of, um, of Jacob, right? Or whoever it was. But he is, the angel says he's part of the lineage of David. David's a very important part of the lineage. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived to her is from the Holy Spirit. There it is again, the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. So Yeshua is the Jewish name, Jesus, and that name, Yeshua, is Yeshua is God saves or God delivers or to save or to rescue. So the name Jesus means to rescue. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So there's another name for Jesus, which is Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew name, which is Emmanuel, which is with us, God. So God is with us. So right here we see we have two kind of names. He's got Yeshua, which means to deliver, save, or rescue. Emmanuel, right, which is God is with us. But we've also seen that he's the Messiah. And Messiah is the Jewish name, Messiah, which is the anointed one. So we have three names here. We learn, so just in this first chapter, we learn a few things. We learn that the Father is the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the one who's going to deliver, save, or rescue. He's God with us, Emmanuel, and he's the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah uh, from the Old Testament. So all of that comes from chapter 1. And uh, I would say, just, you know, in closing, that um, we need a Messiah today. A Messiah is somebody that you look to that's going to deliver or rescue you, right, from your present situation. And what's our present situation right now? Well, we're locked down, right, in our homes. If you're part of a, 
of a group of people that's considered important to society, you can actually go out and do stuff. If you're unimportant to society like me, you're stuck uh, in your home broadcasting on YouTube for 28 days going through the book of Matthew. Um, but um, at some point, we hope that somebody somewhere, right, whether it's a scientist or maybe it's, it's somebody that's looking at it from you know statistical standpoint saying, you know, here's where we found it serious, here's where he's found it not serious. Here's the underlying conditions that make it worse. Here's the underlying conditions where you can blow it off. Here's the age group that's, that's really bad. Here's the age group that's not really bad. And as this data starts coming in over the next 28 days, hopefully, I think the prayer is everybody, is that somebody somewhere is gonna come up with the magic key that's gonna save us from this coronavirus. But the fact is, that even if they do find the magic key, um, not everybody is going to be saved or rescued or delivered. And not, and not every you know, person who is politically in charge is going to make the right decisions. And uh, the, the doctors are not necessarily going to always make and treat the right decisions. And the hospitals aren't going to make. I mean, we live in a sinful world. And even if we can understand the science as best as we can, the science might be flawed or the delivery of the science might be flawed, or the way that we come together as a nation might be flawed, or the way we come together as, an, as a world or a community or a state, or a, I mean, all of this can be flawed because we live in a flawed world. But what we do know is that Jesus, who came to deliver and save us, he is not flawed, and his deliverance does not, uh, does not fall apart. Because his deliverance as the Messiah, as the promised one, as the anointed one, as the God with us, his deliverance is something outside of this world and inside this world. But it is a deliverance that will never fail. It will never fall apart. And so if you put your faith in, in the things that you think are going to save you in this world, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, we need to pray for our you know, for everybody that we can get through this and, and pray that somebody is going to come up with the magic bullet that, you know, helps save us in this crisis. But ultimately, it doesn't save us from the ultimate crisis, which is permanent separation from God. But there is one who doesn't fail us, and that one is Yeshua, Emmanuel, Jesus, Messiah. He never fails us. So I think that's about as far as I want to go today is chapter one. Um, if you stayed with me so far, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, if, you, if you liked this, uh, you could like our Facebook page or send it out to people that you know. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but there's some things that you can do on both Facebook and YouTube once the following gets larger. And um, I... Have, I mean, I don't have this strong desire to have a long, large following except for, you know, people in our congregation. But if, the, if, the, if it gets farther, um, that's not bad at all. Um, but, you know, send it out. And if once it gets to certain numbers, then both YouTube and Facebook start to give you different perks of things that you can do that are even cooler than just me sitting in my den uh, reading scripture and telling you about Jesus. But um, for me, that's the coolest thing there is. So... Uh, that's all I got. So um, God's richest blessings be with you today. Uh, hope you started your day off well and that uh, this helped you start off your day well. 
Uh, I pray for God's uh, blessing in you. I pray you stay safe. Um, but even if you do catch this virus, know that God is with you. He is the deliverer. He is Emmanuel. So that's all I got. God's blessings to you. And we'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock again. Okay.